Well, I'm really happy to be assembled with all of you here this morning. So happy that we have visitors among us and I uh, hope that if uh, you uh, did not get a visitor's card filled out before uh, the collection plate was passed around that you won't hesitate to do so now and hand it to somebody before you leave. We uh, sincerely appreciate you being with us. Hope you'll be back every time that you can. Uh, as was announced at the beginning of our worship hour our brother Ben is away from us preaching in a gospel meeting, and so I count it a great privilege to have been asked to be able to stand before you this morning, but it's also a great responsibility, and I take it very seriously. So I would ask you to do me a favor, and that is if, uh, if there's anything I say this morning that just doesn't seem very clear, yeah, certainly if I say something that, that doesn't seem to uh, correspond accurately with what God's Word reveals, I hope that you'll bring that to my attention. Let's talk about that. Let's study it out. It's my intention this morning to present nothing except what we find in God's Word. So I want to ask you to open up God's Word with me this morning. Turn to John chapter 6. Turn to John chapter 6. We're not going to read this entire chapter. It's rather long, but I want to remind you of some things that we read about in John chapter 6. And these are some things that as I think about them, I think how amazing it would have been to have been able to be present, to witness these things happen. For example, the first part of John chapter 6, we read about Jesus feeding 5,000 people with just a very small amount of food. That, that's what it began with. And then we read about Jesus walking on the sea, walking on the water. And then we read about the teaching that Jesus did that followed these miraculous events. And and we, I think about, wow, to, think, to, to hear the voice of Jesus, how impressive, how, how, ma- how wonderful that would be to have that opportunity to hear the voice of Jesus while he walked in this world. And these people that we read about in John chapter 6 had that opportunity. But look with me towards the end of the chapter, down, to, uh, down in verse 65. Jesus said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. Now, notice the reaction of, uh, of the people to Jesus' words. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. To think about the great opportunity, that how, how wonderful it must be to be in the presence of Jesus, to to hear him speak and hear his voice, and yet to think about that there would be some who had been following him, those who were named among his disciples, who went back and walked with him no more. That should impress us and make us realize that what happen, what we see happening today, where there are those who hear the truth and maybe for a time submit to it, they're impressed with the force of God's word on their lives they're convicted by it and yet there are some who follow for a while and then they turn away and walk with him no more that's nothing new it was going on even while Jesus was alive and while he was teaching in this world there are some today who claim to have been members of Christ's church in the past and who have departed from that way and Sometimes we'll hear people who have done that look back and say, you know what, here's what I disagree with about what they might call Church of Christ doctrine. I suppose that 
most any of us who've been Christians for very long have probably heard that terminology used to try to uh, position a doctrine as being a part of our church that's peculiar to our church. And I want to I ask you to consider with me this morning this concept of Church of Christ doctrine. What does that really mean? Why does that term exist? And what should our reaction be to those those sorts of categorizations? And so the purpose of our of our study this morning is to answer some arguments that I believe are, are rather deceptive in nature. And that is that those who strictly interpret Scripture, those who are devoted to a deep understanding of God's Word and making application in their lives, that those people, whoever they are, whether they, hopefully that's us, that those who are doing that are creating a doctrine that somehow conflicts with God's grace and His compassion. A second purpose of this study is to be reminded that our allegiance must be to Christ and to His doctrine rather than to any ideas, concepts, or doctrines of men. And then the third purpose of this study is to recognize that the doctrine of Christ originated with God, not with the church. Let's observe these things together. I want to first draw your attention to the fact that the Bible nowhere speaks of a doctrine that belongs to the church of Christ. And I want to bring your attention now to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We'll notice that Jesus here, just before he ascended to heaven, after he was resurrected from the dead, he's gathered with his, <coughs> with his apostles, and he says in verse 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When Jesus said that, when Jesus instructed his apostles to go and make disciples of all nations, do you notice what he says in verse 20? The apostles were charged with the responsibility of teaching those who would obey the gospel to observe all things that Jesus had commanded. Where did the doctrine of Christ originate? It was with Christ. It was with God. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to turn with me through the pages of the New Testament this morning. We'll be observing several places throughout the New Testament scriptures where this idea of doctrine is addressed in Scripture. I want you to think through these things with me. We're going to start kind of at the beginning and work our way towards the end of the New Testament. So let's start in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, I'll begin reading in verse 14, where it says, Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Notice what Jesus, to whom Jesus attributed the doctrine he spoke. Jesus was walking on earth, teaching in the flesh, flesh and blood, just like you and I. He had those things. And when he began preaching and teaching, he said, My doctrine is not mine. It originates with 
God. Of course, we know Jesus was God. Jesus is from heaven. But Jesus says the source, the, the authority behind what I'm teaching is divine in nature. It's not a doctrine of men. Turn with me now to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. And read verse 19 with me. Here it says, The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Do you remember the occasion of this? You remember this was just a few hours before Jesus would be crucified? Here, a religious leader of the day, the high priest, he questions Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine, his teaching, the things he was teaching. A religious leader questioning Jesus about his doctrine. Now, keep that in mind as we turn on to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we'll see that what Jesus told the disciples to do, the apostles to do back in Matthew 28, begins to be carried out. And in Acts chapter 2, we see that the day of Pentecost had fully come, and these apostles were all with one accord in one place. And we read about this sound from heaven as, a, as of a rushing mighty wind filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here we see the beginning of their fulfillment of the charge that Jesus had gave. He had given them the charge to go out into the world to teach men to do all things that had been commanded by Jesus. Here we read about the apostles, and in particular we read the words of Peter, and how Peter gave instruction, gave them a teaching, gave them an understanding that Jesus was truly the Messiah, the one that had been had been fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures that these people were familiar with. And so as he, as he uh, convinces them and convicts them of the fact that this Jesus that they had crucified was truly the Son of God, in verse 37 it says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now notice what Peter said. Peter said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What Peter said was, Here is the doctrine of Christ related to the salvation of your soul. You are in jeopardy because you have, convi you have convicted, you have crucified the Son of God. You've nailed him to a cross. What shall we do? Peter conveys to them, he teaches them the doctrine of Christ concerning that matter. We read on and we see about 3,000 souls obeyed that gospel message. But now look in verse 42. It says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Who's the they there? It's those 3,000 souls that were added to the Lord, added to that body of believers. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. These men who obeyed and continued were continuing according to the apostles' doctrine. That doesn't mean the doctrine that was that had originated with the apostles. Remember Matthew 28? What did we read there? They were charged with the work of teaching others what Christ had instructed, what Christ had commanded. They fulfilled that work. And as they fulfilled that work, the Bible tells us that those who 
were obedient to the gospel, continued on in that doctrine, in that teaching, and in fellowship, and then the breaking of bread. That doesn't mean that everyone who heard the word accepted it, though. It doesn't mean that everyone who heard the word followed after it and did the will of God. As a matter of fact, we can see an example of that in Acts chapter 5. Turning a few more pages, Acts chapter 5, verse 27. Here we see the apostles on trial because they are standing for the gospel. They're teaching the gospel. They're doing the work that God told them to do. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 27, it says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. So here's an example of somebody who rejected the teaching that the apostles were doing. And notice the language he uses. He said, we, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Was this doctrine truly, did it originate with the apostles? We've already noticed it didn't. We've already noticed that they were fulfilling the work that Christ had given them to do, to teach all men everywhere, to do God's commands, to do the will of Christ. And yet when one wanted to detract from or have a reason to not obey that gospel, to not obey that doctrine, notice what the high priest said. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on, on, uh, on us. And so there are those who rejected the doctrine that was taught by Jesus' apostles who would attribute that doctrine as being from men or from the apostles. But we also notice another reaction. We've seen some who accepted the doctrine of Christ, some who rejected it. We can turn over to Acts chapter 17, and we can see another reaction that men had to the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the doctrine of Christ. In Acts chapter 17, The Apostle Paul, excuse me, the Apostle Paul comes to the city of Athens. And in verse 18, it tells us he encounters some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And some of these men said, what is this, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So we see right off the bat that the men of Athens, these philosophers in Athens, they were curious about the doctrine. It was a strange thing to them. Now, if you continue on through the chapter, you'll read that there were some in Athens who accepted it, there are some who rejected it, and there are some who remained curious about it. And so we, we see all three reactions right here in this one chapter. Some who accept, some who reject, and some who remain curious about this doctrine. We continue on through the pages of Scripture, and we read the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans in Romans chapter 16. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 17, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. There's a warning here against those who would act contrary to the doctrine, the doctrine that they had learned. And so Christians were to be wary of that. In Ephesians chapter 4, 
Again, we're just continuing on through the pages and noticing what the Bible says about the doctrine of Christ and about doctrines of various sorts. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 14, the same Apostle Paul writes that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. There are doctrines that originate with men. Paul warns against those doctrines, and he says that they are deceitful in nature. They are based on the trickery at times of men. He says, do not be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Turn over a few more pages in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We think about the reaction we ought to have to the doctrine of Christ. And as it compares to the doctrines of men, Paul makes that very clear in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. He says, I, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. There is not another doctrine that compares to the doctrine of Christ. There's not another teaching by which men might be saved. There's not anything else to which we ought to uh, pledge our allegiance, you might say, that we are devoted to any other doctrine other than the doctrine of Christ. Drop on down a few verses now, and let's read beginning in verse 8. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. You know what the Apostle Paul says about the doctrine of Christ? He says it's distinguished from the doctrines of men, the deceitful doctrines of men. It is sound. It is healthy. It is what is in alignment with the will of God. And so it is sound in nature. And so we need to think about the fact that the Bible speaks about the doctrine of Christ as something that is distinct from the doctrines of men. It is not deceitful, but it is instead sound. We can continue on in 1 Timothy and read uh, chapter 4, verse 6 and see this word used again. He says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Timothy's commended because of his carefully following of a good doctrine. The doctrine of Christ is sound. The doctrine of Christ is a good doctrine. We continue on and go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and we read verses 3. 4 and 5, where it says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, notice this, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. So when Paul tells Timothy how to deal with those who are promoting and teaching doctrines of men, what does he say about that? Well, he again notices that there are words that are wholesome in nature. He points out that the doctrine of Christ is wholesome, it is good, it is healthy, it is what God desires. And those 
wholesome words are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul taught the gospel, he wasn't preaching something that originated with him. He was preaching the doctrine of Christ, the teaching of Christ. And he says, but there are some who are obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. What should be Timothy's response to those men? Withdraw from them. Don't continue on with them. Don't accept what they're teaching as being on par with the gospel of Christ or that we should tolerate it in some way. But notice that it is something that is contrary to the law of Christ, contrary to the will of Christ. It opposes the good nature of, of, of God's will and the good blessings that men are afforded by it. In Second Timothy chapter 4, notice in verse 2. Timothy here is told by Paul to preach the word. Paul says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. There's that term again, sound, healthy doctrine. There will be men who will not endure it, he says, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Sound doctrine is equated to truth. The words of Christ are truth. The words that Christ gave for his apostles to proclaim to men, they are truth. They are sound. They're healthy. And they are good. And Paul instructed Timothy in dealing with unsound doctrines. He said back in chapter 6 of First uh, Timothy, withdraw from those who, who would teach other things. Here he says, and he warns against those who would uh, seek to turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. He says in verse 5, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What was the ministry of Timothy? To uphold the truth of God, to uphold the doctrine of Christ, and to oppose the doctrines of men. So we turn a couple of other pages. Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, verse 9. We see that not only was it the apostles' charge to Timothy, not only was it the apostles' responsibility themselves, but when Paul wrote to Titus about the qualifications for one to serve as a shepherd of a local body, a bishop, an overseer, an elder, notice one of those qualifications in verse 9. One who, who uh, occupies that office is to hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. By sound doctrine, those who are to lead and shepherd the flock must be able to oppose those teachings of men. And he goes on in verse 10, he says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. How will they be stopped? Why is that important? It's important for the sake of standing up for the truth of God's word, the sound doctrine of Christ. In chapter 2 of Titus, notice in verse 1 where he says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Now we get into an area where we think about, well, what does that mean? Is, are we just talking about uh, the plan of salvation? Is that what's included in, the, in, in sound doctrine as Paul refers to it here? Well, read verse 2, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. 
The older women, likewise, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. He goes on, he talks about the responsibilities of young men. He talks about the responsibilities of bond servants. When we reject the word of God, when we do not abide within the sound doctrine of Christ, you know what he said there? What, what was it he said? When those are not conforming to the will of Christ, he says the word of God is blasphemed. We need to be careful in our, our, our approach to the doctrine of Christ. We recognize it as good. We recognize it as, as sound. We recognize that it is something to which we must submit ourselves to be well-pleasing, to be all that God would have us to be as his children. And so we'll turn just a few more pages now, and we'll read from Second John. I want you to notice with me what John writes about this subject in Second John, beginning in verse 9, where he says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. So let's make some applications. Let's think about, first of all, some inescapable conclusions, as I might call them. The first of those is that not every doctrine is good. Not every teaching that we hear is good. The doctrines of men tend to be deceptive in nature, and we saw Philosophers in Athens, as an example, who sought nothing but to hear something new every day. That doesn't mean that all those things they sought to hear were good. It doesn't mean that all those things were pleasing to God. Certainly they were not. As a matter of fact, the good doctrine of Christ, that sound doctrine of Christ, when they heard that, seemed curious to them. A second inescapable conclusion is that in order to have a relationship with God, one needs to abide within the doctrine of Christ. That's what we just read from Second John uh, verses 9 through 11. Do I want to have a great relationship with God? How do I accomplish that? Well, I can't accomplish that if I'm not abiding within his doctrine. Sound doctrine is something that promotes soundness spiritually in my relationship with God, my relationship with my heavenly Father. A third inescapable conclusion is that Jesus, as the Son of God, has authority over men, and he expects men to obey him. He has that role of authority. A fourth is that the doctrine of Christ did not originate with the church of Christ. Both the doctrine of Christ and the church of Christ originated with God. And when I say church of Christ, you can drive down the street and see various buildings with that name on the, on the sign out front. When we're talking about the church of Christ, we're talking about the church of Christ as presented in the New Testament. That originated with Christ Jesus, with God. Well, guess what? The doctrine of Christ originated from that same source. The doctrine of Christ did not originate with the church of Christ. It didn't originate with men. It originated with God. And the fifth inescapable conclusion I propose to you this morning is that the only doctrine to which men must adhere, the only one, is the one that we've read about this morning, the one that Christ delivered by and through his apostles. And we noticed a couple of passages already I would like you to think about again with me for just a moment. First Timothy 4, verse 6, where Paul told Timothy, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. First Timothy 4, verse 6. 
nourished in the words of faith and in the, the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. He was careful in following the doctrine of Christ, wasn't he? Paul refers to this again in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. He says, you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. When Paul referred to his doctrine, he says, my doctrine there, whose doctrine is he really talking about? It's that doctrine that was delivered to him to give to men, to teach to men. He commends Timothy for carefully following that doctrine. And so I ask you this morning some questions that, Sometimes you may hear from other people if you're striving to live within the doctrine of Christ. Someone may say, well, you're just legalistic. You ignore the compassion of God, the grace of God. God overlooks a lot of things, and he's a compassionate, loving God. You're just legalistic as you strive to carefully follow the doctrine of Christ, the the teachings of the Bible. Well, I ask you this morning, is that what Timothy was? Was he legalistic? in a negative way. Oh, he was commended by Paul for carefully following the good doctrine of Christ, wasn't he? And I'll ask, ask you a similar question, and, it, and that is when Paul commended Timothy for carefully following this doctrine, was he taking the heart of grace and compassion and replacing it with a taskmaster of law-keeping? Is that what this was about? Is that why he commended Timothy? He expected Timothy, Christ expected Timothy, and expected all men to, con- to accept the doctrine of Christ and to carefully follow after it. Now, let's think for just a moment about God's grace because we would be neglectful, I would be neglectful as I stand before you this morning to talk about the doctrine of Christ without addressing the subject of God's compassion and His grace the Bible speaks about that very clearly, and I, I, I would encourage you to read with me Second Peter chapter three and verse nine. Second Peter chapter three and verse nine, where where Peter has been writing about the, uh, the destruction that awaits really this world, and he makes reference to the fact that that uh, the world once perished in a flood, but in verse seven, the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Notice in verse 8, though. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We think about the compassion of God. We think about his mercy and love. We see it written about right here. What has God given to man that man cannot provide for himself? Whatever those things are that God provides to man that man cannot provide for himself, that's beyond man's ability to do for himself, those come as a result of God's compassion. What are they? One of them is a sacrifice sacrifice we cannot provide for ourselves there was no sacrifice given under the law of Moses that was sufficient to take away sins whose sacrifice took away sins it was the sacrifice of God's son upon the cross Hebrews chapter 10 verses 12 through 14 that was the one sacrifice we could not provide that for ourselves I couldn't take a perfect lamb that I own and sacrifice and say see my sins are wiped away 
It was God that provided the sacrifice. It was by his grace he provided that. It was by God's grace that he provided instruction on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We read verses 37 and 38 when they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? It was by God's grace that Peter responded and told them what they needed to do to be right with God. That was by God's grace, his mercy, his compassion. It's by God's grace and compassion that we can read Second Peter chapter 3 and see that God gives us time. I can't provide time for myself. I can't provide the sacrifice. I can't provide the instruction. I can't provide the time. God's given me all those things by his grace, by his mercy. You know what he expects in return? He expects me to live by the sound doctrine of Christ, to simply submit myself to him, to come to know and understand the will of God and to to live by it. And so I encourage you this morning to recognize our task as Christians is not to defend the doctrine of the church of Christ. Our task as Christians is to uphold the word of God, to come to know it and to live by this sound doctrine. I'd encourage you to think about a couple of things as we close, uh, and it just relates to our speech. So we think about the uh, application of this lesson in our lives because I look around me and I see so many people that I know are striving to live by the good doctrine of Christ. And there are yet some times that we may use language that might confuse this issue. And so think about this with me for just a second, and then we'll close. You ever use the term, I'm Church of Christ? What does that really mean? I'm Church of Christ. Or what about, uh, we're not like other denominations. What does that mean? What, what does that tell other people about how we see the church and how we see our, our affiliation with it? We're not like other denominations. What about the Church of Christ teaches baptism is necessary for salvation? Or the Church of Christ does not believe in instrumental music and worship. Do you ever use uh, sentences like that, words like that? The Church of Christ opposes homosexuality. Now, there's an element of truth in these statements. But as we think about that, and we think about the world we live in, and we see all the different religious groups around us, and all the different doctrines, and all the different teachings, do we sound like every religious group that we see around us when we use words like that. You see, it's not important that I'm church of, I'm not church of Christ. I am a member of the body of Christ. I'm a member of his body that was redeemed through his blood. And I became a member of that body by being baptized into it. God added me to it because I submitted myself to his will through baptism, having repented of my sins. We are not unlike other denomination we're not a denomination that's the point right we're not striving to be another one of many we're striving to be the church that jesus built think about those things with me this morning as we as we try to make application of the fact that christ has a doctrine it's a good doctrine it's a sound doctrine it's a doctrine that brings salvation to men think about your devotion to that doctrine think about the words that you use and how you convey that message to other men let's convey that message in the language that we found that we find in scripture the language that was used by the apostles those who are charged with delivering that message to men 
I realize I'm speaking to a large group of people here this morning, and I don't know all of you, and I suspect there's probably some here this morning. As a matter of fact, I'm very confident there are some here this morning who are not a member of the church of Christ that's described in the New Testament. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing. God, by his grace, has given us the ability to know about that church, about the sacrifice of Christ, about what he did to purchase that redeemed group of people. You can be a part of that. By God's grace, you can be a part of that body. You have an opportunity this morning. God's given you the time. God gives you the instruction. And God has provided the sacrifice. It's just up to you to submit to the conditions that he sets forth. It's up to you to do that. And I want to help you with that if I can. I'll be glad to study you with you. And there are numerous other people here who'd be thrilled to study God's word with you. So maybe you have that need this morning and you want to let us know that. Or maybe you know what the gospel teaches and you just need to submit to it. Here's an opportunity for you to do that. Here's an opportunity with you, for you to make your life right with God. Whatever your spiritual need may be, we ask you to make it known by coming to the front as we stand and sing this song.